0: Are you seeking to broaden your horizons, to stay relevant and become future fit? Do you want to fuel your creativity and inspire innovation? Or are you simply looking to put a kapow back into your business? Then look no further. Join Carmen Murray, entrepreneur, innovator, and tech-hundi with her big personality and presentation style as she interviews celebrities, alchemists, newsmakers and business experts to discover the stories behind their success. The Carmen Murray Show will open your mind and help you turn knowledge into magic. Let knowledge be your superpower. And now, from Solid Gold Studios, here's your host, Carmen Murray.
1: Hey, 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 Futurebit Tribe, welcome to yet another Carmen Murray show, and I'm super excited to bring Graham Codrington along on this journey today. For um, quite some time now, even before lockdown, we've um, been trying to reach out to each other to get him on the show. And finally, the diaries merge and we can make this happen. So let me give you a little bit of context about Graham. Graham is an internationally recognized futurist. Um, he specializes in the future of work. He's a global speaker. And I'm always just fascinated how he conveys the future in a simple and easy way to digest with a little bit of sass and sense of humor. So without further ado, (laughs) Graham, warm welcome. So, so happy to have you here with us. How are you?
2: I'm doing really well, Carmen. Thanks for that intro. I'll I'll have to tell my daughters that I've been described as someone with sass. They just think <laughs> I've got bad dad jokes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching one of your before COVID. Watching one of your talks. And the music and the jokes that you were doing on stage and you were try- and how you were trying to tell the story of the future without people being intimidated and I think this is kind of where I think there 's a bit of fatigue about the future for so long it 's the only conversation that people are actually talking about is the future this the future that the future this we ignore it, and then it takes one black swan event and it 's all exposed what 's your view on it?
2: No, well, exactly. You know, my my company, uh, we started 20 years ago. It's actually our 20th anniversary year this year. And uh, it's called Tomorrow Today. And the reason for that is that I think we have to put equal emphasis on both of those words, both of those places. Tomorrow, uh, you all have to think about tomorrow, you know, you've got to make sure you've got enough food in the fridge, you've got enough petrol in the car, or these days you've got enough diesel in your generator (laughs) for the next load-shedding event. But we all plan, of course we do. Um And nobody can predict what will happen. So somewhere between your planning and your prediction, there's a gap. And we have to take the time and put in the effort to try and narrow that gap a little bit. If it's for ourselves, if it's for our children, choosing what schools they're going to go to, what subjects they might do for matric, all of that's the future. Thinking about it and all the rest. And obviously for businesses, it's uh, important to plan for the next however long your planning is, so if it's the next season uh, or for the next year or or the next week even, but the further you can think ahead, uh, the better it's going to be for you. Surprises are fantastic on your birthday and at Christmas. They're not a really good business strategy, and so we've got to try and get rid of our surprises, and then the second half is today to say, okay, so we'll do the best we can to think about what might happen in the future, but what do we do today with the things we can actually do, what's on our actual to-do list? And so it's those two things that that energize me, helping people to anticipate what might happen and prepare for it and do something about it today.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I almost feel that we need to be so agile, playing in this agile economy the whole time. We used to go and we plan our digital strategies and we plan our content strategies and then you have something going out tomorrow and you're like, oh my gosh, if this had to go out, we would have had a serious PR crisis. Um, The conversations are constantly moving. The behaviors are constantly moving. And it's not always easy to, to plan too far ahead as well. Or, or do I have the wrong side of the stick here?
2: No, you know, one one of the, the craziest examples of what you're talking about there in terms of this sort of planning ahead and then not thinking through uh, what actually might have happened was an American politician called Herman Cain. He was part of Donald Trump's uh, cabinet. Uh, he got COVID. He was one of part of Donald Trump's team who was saying COVID's nothing, it's just the flu. He then got COVID, sadly passed away. This is July, I think, last year, July 2020. But his social media, you shouldn't laugh after somebody's passed away, but it- for the next few weeks, his social media platforms continued to tweet and send stuff out, and it was all sort of anti-vaccine, anti-mask, anti-COVID stuff, and the guys actually died of COVID. So, I mean, there's a case study. Somebody's going to write a a master's thesis on, (laughs) on how badly social media can go. I can't think of a worse example. But that's exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? That sometimes you can look ahead and plan for a few months or a few years, and things go roughly according to plan. But sometimes the world changes in an hour, it changes even in an instant. Often that happens personally, you think, you know, you get in a motor car accident, or you, you get some news where uh, good or bad news, you win the lottery, um, you know, your, your life is changed in a moment. Mm-hmm. So I think what COVID has done, for a lot of people, because I've been talking about this stuff for 20 years, I don't think we ever had as much certainty as we maybe thought we did. And I've been trying to convince my clients for 20 years that you've got to be more adaptable, more agile, as you were saying. I think COVID has now proved that point, that people know that they can't plan too far ahead, because we don't know. As we're recording this right now, we are in the, the the worst of the third wave in South Africa of COVID. Some people guessed that we would have a third wave. I, I certainly thought that we would, but nobody can claim to have said it will happen between these days and these days, and this is how bad it will be, and this is what we need to do. So what COVID has done is it's given us an example of what I think the rest of the 2020s is going to be like, which is constant change, deep disruption, uncertainty. And so your response has to be adaptability, flexibility, being more agile. And and I think it's a great time for us to be thinking about uh, how we have to shift our mindsets, um, mm. not just for COVID, but for the rest of the 2020s and beyond.
1: I so agree with you and and I couldn't agree with you more and I think it's very difficult to to work with, with legacy mindsets. People that think that they can still get away by doing things the way they've done it 20 years ago or during the Mad Men ages and just think that that is going to work. I sometimes think that people think that consumers are stupid. And it's, it's pat, I'm not patronizing, there's patronizing and matronizing. So it all depends who's the CEO. But, um, <laughs> so, um, from my perspective, I also think that old way of doing things where you can't react quick enough because your your systems and your red tape is not built in such a way for you to do that. And I think that was where a lot of the big global organizations were really hit hard. I know of one of the clients, a very big international company, they went and they needed about a hundred staff members um urgently recruited for an urgent project. And their global policy basically said that the people that they employ needs to have a good credit record. They can't work for them if they don't have a good credit record. Now, a lot of people lost their jobs during COVID. So if you took relief... Then you obviously have a bad credit record. One month missed payment, you have a bad credit record, and they found the most incredible um, talent, but they couldn't recruit them. So there's also wow,
2: what an amazing story, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: And and I mean, there, there's so many um, things that people are not thinking through, and refuse to budge. Now we mm. are currently sitting South Africa. Last, last week or the week before, they announced that South Africa is sitting, this first quarter, I'm sitting on a 43% unemployment rate. And out of that, 74.7% is the youth between 15 and 34. That gives me gooses because I don't know what that means for South Africa.
2: And, you know, that's as good as an example uh, of people not thinking differently of trying to approach the future with the mindset that worked in the past. And so, for example, in South Africa, uh, we we kind of looked at the past, we've looked at China, we've looked at India, and we've said, oh, well, the, the next step for South Africa must be to build up our manufacturing industries, because that's how China pulled 400 million people out of poverty in the 1980s and 1990s and 2000s. And and so we have to protect our labor unions and we have to protect our factories and so on. And we have to protect our agricultural workers. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't protect our factory workers and agricultural workers, but I'm saying surely we shouldn't be copying what China did 25 years ago and thinking that that will work in Africa now. Mm. Uh, What we need to be doing is is saying, what's the economy that's emerging? And of course, it's the digital economy. Of course, it's the online cloud, artificial intelligence. Uh, and so you've got to be asking, well, what skills are young people going to need in order to be competitive in that environment? Your, your English has got to be good because that's a global marketplace. We've got a great time zone here in South Africa. We can service Asia and America from South Africa, but we've got to make sure we can speak English at an international quality level. That has to then influence what you do with English teachers and how you engage with spoken English in our schools. I don't see any emphasis on that, uh, in our education department. Then of course you've got to upgrade digital skills. And I'm not just talking maths and science here because again, I think that's out of date. Uh, I'm talking computer programming. I'm talking IT skills. I'm talking being comfortable and confident with a, with a computer. Where is that in our curriculum? Um, when I, when I look at the curriculum, it's ridiculous. They're teaching these kids stuff that we were taught in the 1980s and 90s when we were still on DOS and Windows 3.1. And so, you know, what you've got to do is you've got to engineer today's policies and, and actions based on a proper picture of tomorrow's world. And, and I think we are. We're failing our young people uh, mm. in, in South Africa from an education perspective. Uh, and I think there are other ways that we're letting them down as well, including not emphasizing entrepreneurship enough. Mm. We don't just need more jobs. We need more companies. We need more businesses, which yes. means we need more entrepreneurs. You know, so there's all sorts of ways in which even as a country, we've got examples of how we have got outdated thinking that's stuck in the past. Uh, rather than some future fit way of approaching our country's issues.
1: I so agree with you. I think one of the, the things that's a pet peeve for me is like um, the CSIs of, of, of organisations. is almost like a tick box. It's like it's the end of financial year end. Let's just quickly do something, slapstick, and do a band aid approach for youth development. I know of youth development programs that are three years long because you need to rehabilitate People first because the the impact of unemployment during the AIDS pandemic a lot of the children lost their parents they became parents when they were still children they never managed to get to school and this is a huge part of our population now um, I I read about um, articles for example the youth this embezzlement of funds happening at the schools so the young people sleep with the teachers do sexual favors in order for them to get better marks. So that creates another cult of of corruption and fraud and thinking, okay, this is how I'm going to work my way up. Another thing it's creating is a false economy. We believe that the people we are putting into the job market actually are qualified, have the necessary skills. And then they arrive and they have none. And then we have to work with that and, and what happens is they run for, run to crime. Crime gives you a criminal record. Criminal records makes you unemployable. So entrepreneurship is the only answer that you're going to have. The um, other thing is going to be if you don't have money to feed yourself data is the last thing that you are going to buy when you have an average income exactly. of 200 rand. So it just feels to me, um, Faith Popcorn mentioned the other day, like it's time for brand aid, where brands mm. really invest in the futures of, of people. Yeah.
2: You're absolutely right that it cannot just be – uh, tokenism here or there. And in my opinion, it can't even just be money that just gets thrown at something and then you tick the box and say, hey, we we spent our whatever percentage on CSI this year. Let's maybe help people who are listening to us say, well, what, do you, what can you actually do? What would make a, a real difference? So from a CSI perspective, instead of donating money, why don't you donate your stuff? There are some wonderful campaigns where you can get corporate people, people who are trained and qualified professionals, who get trained how to mentor and coach head masters, head mistresses, senior teachers in schools. And you, as a company, get matched with a township school so that once a month you give some of your staff members a day off uh, to go into the school and to do coaching and mentoring of the senior leaders of that school you 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 help them it's not as if you know everything um, and they know nothing but you work together with them you use the privilege that you've got of your corporate job and your professional experience to help them to improve their environment the schools that that have done things like this have seen dramatic improvement leadership makes a difference we know this so why don't we help improve the level of leadership in education? Then you can go a step further as an individual, as a person, no matter where you are in your career. You might even be a student yourself as you listen to this. Why don't you find a way to mentor some young township or rural kids? Uh, if, if Honestly, if you spend a few hours with them once or twice a month, for a year or two, especially in grade ten, grade eleven, grade twelve, when they're making career decisions, study decisions, you won't believe the difference you can make in somebody's life mm. uh, by just investing in them, by just believing in them, by just walking with them uh, on on a journey. So yes. <laughs> Maybe it costs you more than you're prepared to give because it's much easier to open your wallet and throw a few rands at a problem than it is to open your diary and throw a few hours at a problem. But your hours are going to be much more important to supporting and engaging uh, with education, um, and then once I've opened that line of thinking for you, you can do all sorts of things. Like you might be able to open your company's offices to bring young people in, so that they can work on their homework or their assignments, or during their matricule they can study in an environment. That, that's not a township shack with five other families around them and a toilet that's 200 meters down the street. You know, that matricia, we can, we can help matricia. And, and now, now you can go. Now you can start thinking, Mm -hmm. uh, what can you do? But, you know, as long as we think that this is the government's problem to solve, or it's somebody else's problem to solve, or money will fix it, Nothing 's going to actually change, yeah, um, we all do have to get involved, and it 's going to be worth it, right, because if we get it right, I, I mean, what an amazing country we 're going to unlock i mean when you When you see young people who come from underprivileged backgrounds just being given half a chance, mm. you can see what they can do I mean think of the youth choir that went across uh to America it's and are awful. now putting videos out every month in Lova youth choir. Uh, there are other there are other youth choirs. There I've I've got a lot of I'm I'm a musician and I've got a lot of musician friends um, and I try and support them and help them. There is so much talent, uh so much creative energy in this country just waiting to be unlocked. And most of the young people who might go towards crime are only doing it because if they don't, they will starve. They're not master criminals in their souls. They are just trying to live one more day on this planet. And if we help them to see a future and, and, and give them uh, a, a way to dream again, my word will, will unlock something amazing in this country. So. We've all got to get involved. We can't just wait for the government to to do something and then moan when they don't.
1: No, I I do think where where things needs to change is maybe legislation, for example. I think policies always on the ground. I think there needs just like we have BEE. I do think corporates need to have the same for youth, like you have to have a certain amount or certain percentage of youth that sits. Um, in higher and senior positions within your organization and enforce that transformation also to happen um, internally. Um, some companies do it without needing mm. to, be, to be told to do it, but why do you have to be told to do it in the first place?
2: Exactly. You, you know, sadly, there's. I, I mean, we're, we're trying to be a little bit upbeat and we're trying to be practical and get people thinking <laughs> in the right way. There's another sad, there is another sad statistic I can throw in here. Three years ago, President Ramaphosa announced YES. YES was the Youth Empowerment Service, I think is what the S stands for. And the goal was, within three years, to have a million young people trained and employed. And it was actually incorporated into the BEE code. So if you employed a young person through the YES program, you did get some BEE points. So that's exactly, common what you were saying that they should be doing. First of all, not enough was done with it. Whoever the PR agency was behind the YES program uh, should have been fired a long time ago because, <laughs> you know, that should have been on every news program. There, there should be weekly updates because I had forgotten about it personally. And it was the three-year anniversary recently. And something literally popped up on my Facebook page because I was so excited about it three years ago. And, um, our company, uh, employed somebody or through the, through the system didn't quite work out exactly as we were hoping, but we gave somebody a chance and we, you know, we, we tried to make our contribution even as a small, tiny company. But <laughs> unfortunately, three years down the line, they released their three year results. A million young people was the target. I'm not even going to ask you to guess because you, it'll just, you'll cry. It's 55,000 young people have been employed through the system in three years. Now, I know that half of that is COVID and, and almost nobody's been employed during COVID time. So you can sort of give them a bit of a break for COVID. But 55,000 in three years with a government program that had everything behind it, that's not good enough. And it's everybody's fault. It's government, it's the PR agency for not doing a good enough job with such a great idea. And it's also corporate South Africa that is not prepared to take a chance. Your example earlier, you know, of a global company that's got these policies that just don't make sense in the situation. And if you're a company working in South Africa and you think that 78 or 75% youth unemployment doesn't turn into a civil war. In the next 10 years, mm. you've never read even one history textbook. So even if you can't find the best candidate you were hoping for, even finding any candidate, any single young person that you take out of unemployment is is making a, a fraction of a percent improvement in this country. And, and if we can all do that, that includes individuals, that includes people at home, you know, how to, getting your garden done, getting your car washed, whatever. Let us promote youth employment and do what we can uh, to encourage young people. And if I can go a step further, and maybe Carmen, we can talk a bit about entrepreneurs, because I am an entrepreneur. I've always been an entrepreneur. I started making money when I was in my teen years. I, I grew up in a in a house where my father was a school teacher and then became a church pastor. Talk about upgrading his salary. Wow. (laughs) You know, he he went the other direction. And and because of the the, the particular religious beliefs that my, my parents held, my mother didn't work. So it wasn't as if there were two incomes. It was one small income. Now I'm white. We lived in the suburbs. I went to what today are model C schools. Didn't go to private schools, but the, I mean, it was as good as a, a, a private school. I got a bursary for varsity and, but from early, early in my teenage years, I made my own money and it's just part of who I am. It's part of where I've come from. But I was also had this wonderful, white South African safety net of friends and family members and people in our church who if I made something I I, I silk screened logos onto pens and sold them to companies and they were probably rubbish quality, but the family and friends said, ah we'll buy your pens, whatever. <laughs> um, all I remember as a young teenager is feeling I can give it a go. Nobody's looking at me and saying, oh, why are you wasting your life trying to just go get a job somewhere? Nobody ever said that to me. I, my parents did say you have to go and get a degree so that you've got something to fall back on. And you know, I, I, they were probably right. But I get a sense from a lot of my uh, speaking to younger people today and maybe I, I don't want to generalize and, and, I, and I want to be careful because I am a middle aged white. Man, I I don't want to speak for people from the townships, but what I've heard from people and what I understand is that entrepreneurship is not that well supported. If if you go and tell your parents today as a young person, no, I, I don't want to go and get a job. I want to make my own business. They'll think you've failed. They'll think that the people who try and start their own businesses it's because you tried to get a job and there wasn't a job available. We've got to change that. We've got to normalize entrepreneurship. Mm. We've got to normalize people uh, saying, I want to start my own business. And then family and friends. You know, I don't know, Carmen, if you've, you've ever moved into a new house or bought a new house and all your friends come around with, with house warming gifts and they, they say, you know, here's some stuff for you, some cutlery, some, you know, some crockery, some things for your new house. Why don't we have new business warming parties? I love that. Where somebody's starting a party and all the friends get around and we buy whatever you do for the first month, we make sure it's sold out. And we buy it from you and then we we like you on social media and we retweet you. And why don't we just support our friends who are trying to start these small businesses? Who knows? Maybe in five years' time, one of your friends will employ you in their company that's now growing quickly. So, you know, you could even do it just for selfish reasons. If you've got 20 friends who've all got great businesses... You've always got a job <laughs> or at least options where you can speak to them.
1: <laughs> I, I love that. And I just want to go back to some of your insights. This is going to surprise you significantly. So I'm uh, busy with my PG Dip, postgraduate diploma in management practice. And um, you're doing research. And we found out in a specific organization that's doing a lot of work out there, they did intense research on the participants of the youth development programs and found out like I think 40% of them chose to be unemployed because of the cultures of corporate mm. South Africa. Now, mm. and they have degrees and they're from rural areas, but they prepare to live poorly because they don't like the way that they're being treated in these organizations. Mm. Now, When I heard that, that's just like send alarm bells out is the new generation is corporate South Africa or global corporate, you know, thinking about the impact of the toxic cultures. Um, I heard a word the other day and I've never heard of it before and I thought it was so amazing. Intellectual harmony. So intellectual Mm -hmm. harmony um, for the audience, if they don't know is when you sit in meetings and you pretend everything is fine, where deep inside you are not happy. You're not saying what's wrong. Mm. You don't have the courage to speak up. You'd rather just comply with the rest and be in harmony. But deep inside you're unhappy and things go against your principles or your values. And I think that this is a big thing in corporates. I I know Mm. that we need to work with them, but also we need to address the elephant in the room.
2: Absolutely. And this whole conversation is all intermeshed beautifully because, uh, you know, globally around the world, a lot of the work I've been doing over the last 20 years has been around helping companies realize that one of the biggest disruptions taking place in the future of work is not new technology, artificial intelligence, automation, fourth industrial revolution. That is huge and, and that will disrupt your business. But I think even bigger than that is this younger generation, whether you want to call them millennials or Gen Z or whatever that labels you, you prefer, or if you prefer no labels at all, that's probably even better. But today's young people come into this world of work and they look around and they say, are all of you mad? I mean, why are we doing this stuff? Simple examples. And, and again, now we can loop all the way back to the beginning of our conversation. COVID has switched on this massive spotlight and shone it on this workplace and said, look how mad you are. Rush hour traffic is my top example. <laughs> Young people have been saying forever. Young people, since they arrived in the workplace, started, you know, since the millennials started arriving 10 years ago, they've been saying, do we all have to leave home at exactly the same time every morning? I mean, can't we just have a little bit of flexibility here, you know? And I'll come in a little bit later. I'll stay later. I'm not asking for less hours. I'm just saying, why? Do we all get onto the road at the same time? And then we all finish at the same time every day and all try and get home together. What is going on here? And, you know, so this whole issue of working from home, working from anywhere, being more flexible, remote working. I know young people who have been begging their companies for the last 10 years to say, can we just try it? Can we just give us two weeks and let's see if it works. And of course, the old corporate mindset says, if I can't see you, I can't control you. And if I can't control you, you are going to be lazy and you're just going to watch Netflix all day and you're not going to do any work. Whereas actually what COVID has has shown us is that most people are working harder from home. Mm. Longer hours, more stressed, Uh, that's a whole other conversation we have to talk about, about companies looking after their their people's health. But the concept of saying that people are going to be lazy if they're not in the office is nonsense. It always was nonsense. Now we've proved it. So that's just a simple example. There's so many other ways in terms of how you run meetings. I mean, most people, you know, would rather jump out of the the window than than go to a meeting because meetings are boring, badly run and haven't been upgraded in a 100 years. We we now realize you can work from anywhere. We don't need to be in the office. There's a whole lot of... Think about this, Carmen. There's a whole lot of people who used to go into the office who must now go to their clothing cupboard and open the cupboard Uh, 16 months into COVID lockdown. They must look and say, are there clothes you're not wearing? In other words, there's a whole section of your cupboard. Now, for ladies, this might be all of your high heels. Um, <laughs> this might be the, the, the suits for the men. It's your suits and ties and things like that. So there's like half of your cupboard is called work clothes. If you didn't go to the office, you wouldn't wear them. So what on earth are you wearing them for when you're at the office? Why don't you just allow people to come to the office and be comfortable and wear what they want? Now, maybe you need to do slightly better than tracksuits and slippers, <laughs> which is what most people have worn all the way through lockdown. But you don't have to wear suits and ties to actually prove that you're good at your job. I'd be very happy speaking to a lawyer who was good at her job, who who was wearing like a a, a, a t shirt and 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 jeans um, with with your uh, running shoes on. What difference does it make? It Doesn't make any difference to me. So anyway, I, I mean, I, you you could see I'm passionate about this. I could go on and on and on. These young people come into the corporate culture, come into the corporate workplace, and say. What are you guys smoking? I don't want any part of this. And it's amazing what you were saying. Some of them were saying, I'd actually rather be unemployed. I'd actually rather go back and live with my grandmother in the rural village than come into your Santa office. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You have to listen <laughs> when somebody says that.
1: I mean, like, it's 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 just the realities on the ground. So many people, like, we, we need to put different Um, spectacles on. We need to look through different lenses. Um, I think we look into this virtual head mount displays and we just go, "Ah, look at this computerized perfect world. But then realize when you take those Mm -hmm. glasses off, what's actually really happening around you. But I want to add to your point, right? It's like you were in a conversation with me and my husband, because he said to me the other day, isn't one of your dreams to have a pair of Louboutin shoes, and I said to him, "Babe, where am I going to wear these Louboutin shoes? And are they really <laughs> worth the money <laughs> to wear?" The other thing that that's also hysterical is during lockdown, you look perfect on top, and your bottom, you're wearing, um, you know, your, your your pajama pants and all of that kind of stuff. And the sick once all the lockdowns were released, what sold out immediately was um tracksuits yes. in the UK. So it was quite fascinating. And also when you see people in suits and tie, it almost looks odd. <laughs> it kinda like are you in the sixties? That's kinda like what goes through my mind when I see it. But I want to talk about uh, and I'm, I can talk out of my personal experience. Um, if you get to know me personally, you and I would probably talk for hours. I love people, very energetic, wah wah wah. But during lockdown, I've developed social anxiety. I don't like being around people mm. anymore, and I think a lot about. Somebody mentioned it to me. I can't remember who. That's involved in education. That children at the age that's at the age of four years old or three to four years old that went through lockdown are going to be the most unsocial human beings and a different culture is going to come into the workplace you know in 20 30 years from now mm. because mm. of the not being able to socialize the way that we as humans like to socialize we're very complex if i can develop social anxiety i dread to think what this is doing to a lot of people out there, mental health is going through the roof. And I want to add the following I have high anxiety. I mentioned it to Toyota Lazy last week. I, I have high anxiety levels, and the fact is, I have to be on medication to, to govern it. Now, when I go to insurance companies and I tell them I've, I've got anxiety, they increase my premium and should anything mm-hmm. happen around my anxiety, they won't cover it. So my, my question is, how can that be okay? Now, one in every three people suffer from mental illness. How does the regulation support people going through this? There's no support structure. You're basically being penalized if you do have mental health, which is caused by mm. environments.
2: Yeah. And again, the theme of our conversation is the spotlight that COVID has shone on our world. And, and one of the things that's emerging from the shadows of this COVID spotlight is issues around mental health, which there's a there's a full spectrum of issues of mental health. There there are people who have complete and utter mental breaks on on the one end, all the way through to people who have anxiety on the other end. Where you might just want to say to somebody with anxiety, just stop worrying. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure people have told you that in your life. I speak as somebody who is married to and a father of people who have anxiety to the level that also needs medication and needs to be well managed. Um, so, you know, it's not a case of just telling somebody to don't worry. And I have a slightly different view. I I think that kids who were born during lockdown, younger children, uh, even in primary school who maybe have had quite a few months uh, away from school and away from socializing, those kids have parents who are the generation we were just talking about. It's those same millennials and Gen Zs who come into the workplace and say, what's wrong with you people that you work like this? And I have a lot of confidence in that generation of parents who will be a lot more deliberate about talking about how do we socialize, Mm. talking about mental health issues, talking about the impact of events. We are essentially going through similar experiences to what many of our grandparents and even great-great-parents went through, for example, in World War II. You know, I watch movies and read the stories of London while it was being bombed by the Germans and they were basically in lockdown and they also basically had electricity switched off because they had to keep all of their lights off at night. They had to go down to bomb shelters all the time. The schools were closed. Uh, Kids were actually just sent off to random strangers outside in the countryside you know that that's where the Narnia series of books always comes from. The kids are sent away to their uncle in the who they don't know, and they've got to stay in his house in the countryside. Now that generation, our grandparents and great grandparents, they just never spoke about it. They must have had PTSD and mm-hmm. and issues, and that's what created them as a generation. They're called the silent generation um, by the academics. They're a generation who just, you know, children should be seen and not heard, and just get on with it, and don't complain. And I think that today's young people and today's younger parents are different. I think we are in the process of learning new ways of being. Where we talk about these things, where we acknowledge our pain and our trauma and our issues, where we take the time to understand it, where we go to therapy, where we take medication, and we talk about it you you 've just talked about it yourself, uh, my family uh, myself, we normalize those conversations, and that gives me a lot of confidence for the future now if if our conversation today is about the future of work well then are we going to accelerate some of those conversations in the workplace? Mm. I think COVID will force us to. I think COVID will force us to confront trauma, to confront issues. When we start going back to the office, we're going to have to engage. Uh, I think we're going to have to employ therapists and 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 coaches who can help people to reintegrate back uh, into being part of a group and a community again. But I have a lot of confidence that we will be able to do that. Or maybe I can phrase it slightly differently. I have a lot of hope that we will do
1: that. Mm.
2: Um, and that will make a better world because of it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think I love people so much. I'm a, I'm one of those humanity, humankind, like human beings fascinate me. And I think I'm, because I'm an empath, I get so worried when I see people going through a difficult time. And, you know, not being able to reach out. That's also like traumatic. Um, so I think normalizing these conversations is so important. It's going to be very, very interesting to see in the next 10 years. What types of books are we going to see? You know, what's the topic? As you talk about the silent generation, I'm going, yeah, just last week, they were talking about the queen. She, what she never complains. I can't remember what what it was, like mm-hmm. she has this thing about never complain or talk about about anything, and now she's forced to talk about things that she doesn't want to talk about um because of what's happening with the monarch at the moment in the u k so it's sometimes like when I look at my parents, you know there's also and my grandparents there's so much we don't know, like I was mm. asked last week I was asked, how much do you know of your of your culture, and I'm like huh. <laughs> that's all I know about is <laughs> <laughs> <That's all. laughs> because it was never discussed it was it was just like there yeah. was it wasn't a conversation, and this is where I love the tribes and if you look at the traditional like your your Zulu tribes, your kwazar tribes, all of those have these rich histories that's that's been transferred from one generation to the other and I mm. hope that we can rejuvenate that, not just but in corporates as well, with culture, diversity, and inclusion.
2: Exactly. And, you know, we need to do diversity work, not because we have to, not because it's BE compliance, not because we feel, well, you know, we kind of, We we have to get around to doing this. We need to do it because we realize that being in a group of people that is diverse, being in a group of people that sees the world in different ways, that have different opinions, actually makes the world a better place. Mm. And if it makes the world a better place, it'll make your company a better place. It'll make your team a better place. And so we do it because we see the value in it, because we want to, because there's there, there's huge benefit uh, at, at the end of it. And that's, a, again, I think that's a mindset that the younger generation bring to the diversity conversation. And I'm excited to let them lead us uh, into a better future.
1: Well, look, I I think that this was such an incredible, infused conversation of rich nuggets of you know the future of work, but also the realities, as you call it, the the spotlights on COVID, but also the shadows, um, behind these spotlights. In in closing, I want to ask you two questions: What books do people need to start reading? One, and two. If there's three things that people should start changing right now in their companies, what would it be?
2: Uh, Great question. So I think in terms of what books to read, I think we've got, got to upgrade our thinking maybe more than anything else. And the two books I would highly recommend... Uh, one is an old book, which you should have read already, but if you haven't, you must. It's Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, this is a guy who won a Nobel Prize for some of the work behind uh, this book. It helps you to understand the two different parts of your brain, which is not left and right. It's fast and slow. And it's the part of your brain that's lazy, that just wants a quick answer and do something quickly and then complains if it doesn't work out. And the slow part of your brain, which is really the powerful part that you have to unlock and give permission to do the hard work of thinking. So Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. And then probably the best book I've read in the, in while I was in lockdown is Adam Grant's Think Again. Adam Grant is a professor of psychology at Wharton, and he's the highest ranked professor at Wharton, which is one of the Ivy League colleges in America, the highest ranked professor for the last 10 years in a row. I mean, that's gotta feel good when you put that on your CV. And he's now written this book about Think Again, And, and the very, very uh, short version of the, the book is that intelligent people are very good at thinking. So they can, they can look at stuff and make sense of it. They can look at data and, and, and they can come up with conclusions. But unfortunately, very, very clever people are quite bad at thinking again. Which means that when things change, when the environment changes around you, you have to reevaluate you. It, it's the same thing as what we were saying earlier about facing tomorrow's world using yesterday's logic. The mm. problem is if you've already done all of your thinking and if you already think you're clever enough to have worked the world out, you might be stuck. And so Adam Grant helps you to unstick yourself. Um, and I think it's the, best book I've read in years and years. So I can't recommend Adam Grant Think Again uh, highly enough. So that's what to read. The second question was three things people should do. Well, the first thing is upgrade your thinking. That That's an easy one. The second thing that I think that you need to do is you need to recognize that no one's coming to rescue you. Yeah. I, I know that sounds harsh. Don't stop listening right now. Give me two more sentences to to do that. What I mean by that is too many people are waiting for somebody else to change things. They're waiting for the government to sort themselves out. And and so you can go to a braai and you can stand around with your friends and you can say that everything that's gone wrong in, well, pick a country, actually. It's not just South Africa. It could be America. It could be the UK. It could be France. Uh, it could be anywhere. Russia, China, India. You can tell yourself, well, it's the government, you know, the government, the government, the government. And, and you can you throw words like corruption and incompetence and all the rest. But what you essentially are saying at that point is, well, it's not me. And I know you might not have caused the problem, but are you? why are you waiting? Nobody's coming to rescue you. The government's not coming to rescue you. Then you can say, well, it's my company. You know, sure, they put so much pressure on me and this COVID lockdown has been hard. My boss has been pushing me and I'm working so hard and I can hardly sleep. But now you're complaining and now you're saying it's your boss's fault because you don't know how to put your own boundaries in place because you don't know how to say no, because you're not confident enough in your own skills that you can say, I know what I need to deliver. And I'm also going to take a break today. Thank you very much. Um, Again, I'm not giving you advice to go and chirp your boss and lose your job. But I'm, I'm saying, if you're always waiting for somebody else to fix your life, you'll wait for a long time. And the third thing is, don't wait until everything's okay before you be happy. Mm. Um, work out how to be happy with what you've got happiness is not about getting what you want it's about wanting what you've got and I know that that's easy for me to say as an older white guy who's got money in the bank and's got a house to live in and food to eat and I know that there's lots of people who are in desperate situations but actually when I speak to some of those people they've found a way to be fulfilled. Maybe it's because they've got a strong group of friends around them. Maybe it's because they're living with that grandmother we were talking about earlier and there's love in the house, uh, even if there isn't food. And I'm not trying to oversimplify this. I hope people have listened to our conversation and realized that we we sense the the enormity of the issues um, and the complexity of the situation. But too many people think that they have to wait to be happy until they've got all the stuff that they're craving for. Whereas your fulfillment will come by realizing that, it was a John Lennon who said, life is what happens while you're making other plans. Mm. And so have your other plans, have your dreams, have your goals, but enjoy the journey of getting there as well. And, And that will set you up to be successful in whatever happens to you and wherever you choose for your future to be. There we go. I don't know if that. I think a, that was so a good. Beautiful. Three points at the end.
1: That was beautiful. And and finding happiness. Jason Goliath, um, he was talking about the happiness economy at Henley um, last year, and he said. To find happiness, look down at where your feet are in this current moment and be present and mm. look for things that you can be happy about in this current moment. And I think, mm. yeah, mm. I think happiness, we all have this idea happiness is one day I'm going to be happy and then you get there then you're not happy then you want to go to the next phase and I think it's such an important message um, that we need to to spread around the world that we're going to spread around the world but now we're going to close off and you're going to tell us where people can find your books and just give us a little bit of of context on your your books and where they can get purchased sure.
2: Uh, thank you. But probably the best place to connect with me is via my website. So that's grahamcodrington.com. And if you're listening to the podcast or watching the video, hopefully you'll see how to spell my name. I won't spell it out for you. It's it's there for you. Uh, but grahamcodrington.com, kind of that's the hub for everything I do. Then you can follow me on uh, YouTube or LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram. My daughter's told me that 50-year-old men are not allowed on TikTok. So you won't find me on TikTok, but
0: uh,
2: I think they're right. (laughs) I think they're right. I don't do TikTok. But uh, Instagram for for lots of corny dad jokes. Um, Facebook for more personal stuff. LinkedIn for more sort of corporate future of work stuff. YouTube's a good place to go. I put a lot of YouTube videos up. And uh, via my website, you can get access to a whole lot of online resources that I've got. I've got a whole lot of online courses about the future of work, how to build healthy hybrid teams, how to set up... your home office and set up your home studio, Um, and you'll also get access to my books. Um, The last book I I wrote, which we updated last year uh, during COVID, is called Leading in a Changing World, and I wrote that uh, with my business partner, Keith Coates. And then I'm busy working on a book at the moment uh, with another business colleague of mine, Butlet Lamini, and we are looking at how to build healthy hybrid teams and We'll be putting out a book shortly on the what you need to do when half of your team is at the office and half of your team is who knows where you know at, at home at a coffee shop um in a car somewhere and how what's the world of work going to look like? when that flexibility and adaptability and agility is just normal. So we're we're trying to help people to get ahead of that and get ready for that. We think that's the next big thing coming. So that's that's me and how to connect
1: with me. Awesome. Thank you so much for today and hope to touch base with you soon and maybe invite you back with another crowd and we can have a panel discussion about a more serious topic. But thank you so much for today. Bye-bye now.
2: Cheers, Carmen. Thanks.
0: You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com, where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of RUYA Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits. And the Connected Marketer Training in Connected Customer Experiences, Mobile, Data Management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.